to a better educated consumer of its theoretical and practical content. It will also help you appreciate that this book is a lot more than a contemporary pop culture fad. And that, in fact, it's a historically significant landmark in the evolution of strategic thought. But before I get into that, I'm going to let you in on a couple of secrets. The first secret is that the name of the book is not really The Art of War. Rather, Sun Tzu Bingfa, its Chinese title, which I'm pronouncing in modern Mandarin, is more accurately translated as Sun, a surname, Tzu, the masters, Bing, military, and Fa, method. Sun Tzu Bingfa, Master Sun's military methods. So who was this master son? He was a Chinese general whose given name was Sun Wu, and he lived at the end of the 6th century BC. But, and here's the second secret, Sun Wu didn't actually write the book. Instead, what's happening is that an anonymous 4th century author has appropriated Sun Wu's military credentials to argue that people have to radically rethink the military methods. But the fact that Sun Wu wasn't the actual author shouldn't make you question the book's value and insight. Rather, this appropriation of Sun Wu's military credentials was absolutely crucial to the argument that the book is trying to make. We'll see why that is a little later on. Now that I've shared those two secrets with you, I should probably make one other note. During these lectures, I may sometimes refer to the art of war simply as the Sunza. This is sort of academic shorthand, but there's no mystery in it. If you hear me say the Sunza, that's just another way of saying the art of war. So let's recap. Sunza Bingfa, which you can still call the art of war, that's okay, was composed sometime toward the end of the 4th century BC. But the wisdom in its pages is attributed to Sun Wu, who lived two centuries earlier, at the end of the 6th century BC. We can't trace the maxims in the art of war directly to Sun Wu, but the life and martial feats of General Sun, the man that we call Sunza or Master Sun, comprise the backstory of this classic of strategic thought. And this backstory isn't just about Sun Wu, it's also about the transformation of society, the transformation of the political system, and the transformation of war in ancient China. To understand these transformations, we need to go back even further than the life of Sun Wu, all the way back to the 8th century BC. At that time, China was ruled by a dynasty called the Zhou, spelled Z-H-O-U, Zhou. But in fact, the Chinese political order was more like a feudal confederation. While the Zhou kings had a lot of ritual and cultural importance, in other words, soft power, they didn't have much in the way of military and economic power. That hard power tended to be concentrated in the hands of the rulers of the allied states that surrounded the Zhou. But even those states tended to be feudal confederations. For example, a state might be ruled nominally by a duke, but beneath him, there might be dozens of virtually independent aristocratic clans. That system limited the power of individual states because the duke did not actually rule the entire territory. It also limited the war-making capacity of these dukedoms. To understand that, let's consider an analogy. Suppose I'm the Duke of New Jersey, and I want to go to war against New York. To do that, I have to persuade the barons of Bergen and Burlington, the Marquis of Morris, Monmouth, and Mercer, and the Counts of Cumberland, Cape May, and Camden to show up with their personal armies on the appointed day. And if they do show up, they're also going to be bringing their personal interests and their personal vendettas to the battlefield. For example, the Baron of Bergen might be much more interested in seeking out his blood enemy, the Count of Cataragus, and in doing battle with him, much more interested in that than he is in obeying my orders, even though I'm his duke. 
and the Duke of New York will face a similar set of problems. And this was what war was like in 8th century China. You'd have two or more of these confederations. They'd only campaign in certain seasons to make sure the weather was good, uh, to make sure that the ground was dry and hard. The battles themselves would be highly ritualized. They would involve the reading of omens, the announcement of elaborate personal challenges, and the articulations of the justification for the war. And combat itself would generally be between armies of chariot-mounted aristocrats. That might involve a few thousand men on both sides. And yet war, while small in scale, was actually central to the identity of the Chinese aristocracy. The battlefield was where they spilled the blood of their enemies and honored their ancestors. Battle was about ritual. It was about glory. It was about vengeance. These political and military conditions begin to change in the mid-7th century BC, most notably in the northern state of Qi. Q-I, pronounced Qi. The rulers of Qi were famous for their...